tennis fans to kickserveradio.com, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, featuring International Tennis Hall of Famer, former world number one Mats Vlander, and Texas Longhorn all-time great, two-time All-American Johnny Levine. Your host of kickserveradio.com is Andy Zoden. So, take it away, AZ. And take it away, I will welcome everybody to kickserveradio.com. We are part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Our show features three-time French Open champion, nope, not Novak Djokovic, three-time French Open champion, that would be Mats Vlander. seven major singles titles. He is a International Tennis Hall of Famer, Johnny Levine, a Hall of Famer in his own right, albeit at the University of Texas, a two-time All-American there. And boys, it was some French Open. And I have to say that we're calling this show tonight the Joker's Wild. And that would be because of the fact that Novak Djokovic wins his third French title, his 23rd major. He is absolutely the undisputed greatest of all time. The numbers speak for themselves We also had another Joker win a championship, and I would be remiss not to be living in Denver, Colorado, to not talk about the great Nikola Jokic. And I want to maybe contrast and compare those guys a little bit, both Serbian superstars that are not just great sports champions, but great influencers as well. And I'm very proud of Johnny Levine for having been on the Nikola Jokic bandwagon way before the Nuggets had this run and won a championship and recognizing his greatness, but someone whose greatness we have to recognize as the greatest ever, Mats Vlander, Novak Djokovic ties you with three French Open championships, but moves a little bit ahead of you in the overall major count, now 23-7, to seven, best of all time, undisputed. Is there any question? No, and nice to be with you guys. Nice to be back home in Idaho after two and a half weeks in Paris at Roland Garros, which was incredible. Um, I like when you go for the boat race, Andy, the best of all time, because I think the greatest of all time uh, is not measured in wins. Greatest is someone who's influenced other people to go to the sport. And I don't think that I think that's a that's like a, a choice of music to me. Okay. Uh, it's hard to, to measure. So best of all time. Absolutely. Uh, 23 most weeks at number one, uh, most ATP 1000. I mean, his worst Grand Slam is the French Open, which is my best at three. I can't imagine. <laughs> and then he only has three US Opens, I realized the other day, which is really, really strange. So. I, again, I think he's he's going for uh, – he has a good chance of the calendar Grand Slam. He's got a good chance of winning 27, 28 majors because he's so good, so young, so fresh, so motivated, and so humble, except the minutes that he spends trying to beat up on somebody else. Otherwise, he's just different. Johnny, you've been a fan of this guy's all along, and now he's at 23, and there's no argument to be made to Matt's point of best of all time. When you look at the numbers, does it irk you a little or frustrate you a little bit to think that he may not still get that 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 adulation that Federer got, that Nadal has gotten, even though he has earned it on the court? And if he's not getting it, why isn't he? Here's Johnny. Well, Andy, good to be with you guys, first of all, but I would have to say, I think now that he's reached the 23 and is ahead of both of them, that I think he is going to be viewed with the respect that he deserves. And I think now we are in a different phase of 
the outlook of 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 Novak Djokovic. But he's a guy that, you know, he's true to himself and he doesn't always appease everyone with his viewpoints and the way he thinks and the way he acts. You know, he he beats to his own drum and and, uh, you know, some people don't like that. And so he, you know, is not a guy like Federer who just is so easygoing and kind of has that get along with everyone attitude and the image of Nadal. While Djokovic is is as loyal as they come and has been great for the game. I I do think he has his naysayers out there, but I think things are things will be changed now. I really do overall. And if I may, you guys, I just want to interject a point about the other joker, my joker, if you will, which is the Denver Nugget guy, both Serbian superstars, and I think those guys are pretty friendly. And I wrote up a little something for um, the, 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 the e-newsletter for my country club, which was, what can we learn from these two jokers? And I, I talked about their relentless level of preparation and their ability that both of them have to play a winning game in very different ways and how they're very inspired by and loyal to their families. What, what I think sets Nikola Jokic, apart from Novak Djokovic, is the view that Nikola Jokic has of the level of humility and selflessness and his ability to deflect his greatness and give credit to his teammates, which Djokovic doesn't have. It's an individual sport. So there's obviously a big difference there. But I think Nikola Jokic as an influencer is, uh, I think Novak Djokovic could maybe learn a little something from him. And I think as far as long-term career endurance, Nikola Jokic will certainly be looking toward Novak Djokovic for some advice in that regard, Mats. I agree with you, Johnny. I think it's all coming coming to the surface, this whole thing where he's not He's not doing the, the hard thing to the, to the crowd every time at the French. He didn't do it at all. Why? Because they were, not, they were not booing him necessarily, but they were cheering for the other guy because they want to see close matches. And they like to get uh, 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 in somebody's face, the French fans, because they, they might even think that they, they're getting the best out of the guy. And it's a little bit of a show and a theater and whatever. And Novak... Uh, even though he seems like he's a bit irritated by it, he plays into their hands. So it's it's not his fault, but he doesn't try to correct it necessarily. And I think that's why he's going to get the respect uh, because he's just a relentless competitor. And now he's, like you said, Johnny, he's, he's just honest, open, and he's not kissing the fans' butt. He's not... Um, doing any, he's just being himself, and and he realizes, I think, that he's not Federer, he's not Nadal, they're not him, and that's it. I'm doing it for me and my family and my team and my country, and uh, and I'm a ruthless competitor. That's it. I'm not trying harder, and I like that. That's what I've been hoping for him to do, and he's doing it, which uh, so much respect for him right now. He's at 23, Johnny. Could very well be at 25. I would say I would say absolutely 24 he either wins that u.s open for sure where he hit the ball kid inadvertently uh in the throat with a with a ball in anger but that was incredibly unlucky and we saw that final between zverev and and dominic team and 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 to harken back to that maybe not a great level of play in that final by either i think Djokovic wins that u.s open easily and obviously when he doesn't get the, the opportunity to play a couple of years ago because of the COVID rules down in Australia. I mean, we saw a great final with Nadal and Medvedev, so who knows? But, I mean, this guy has owned that tournament. He could easily be at 25 and and really eyeing 30. But let's get back to that semifinal, Johnny, with, with Djokovic 
and Alcaraz because people can look back and, you know, and, and Djokovic still has the people that want to be critical and look for chinks in the armor. And, oh, well, the kid cramped and he wasn't. I mean, Djokovic beat him up. He, he physically put him in the position that he ended up being in. So you can say what you want about Alcaraz. But if you ask me, Djokovic was just the, the, the physical bully on the court that day. And does that give Alcaraz fans cause for concern on a go forward? Or is this just part of the youth of having to realize what it's going to take from a fitness perspective to, to get to the level that this last big three have been at all these years? Yeah, I think, I think Alcaraz, you know, was a little bump in the road for him. He's a young guy and obviously nurse played a factor, but I mean, the tennis that he has played, you know, recently, uh, you know, at that at that French Open was pretty mind boggling for many of the matches. He did have this crazy loss a few weeks ago on clay where he lost to a qualifier, which is pretty stunning. Right. um, That, you know, most people haven't really mentioned. So, you know, obviously, you know, he there is a kink in there in the armor there. But um, look, Djokovic in the end. You know, when when everything gets on the line in the toughest and most difficult situations, Novak Djokovic is not going to crack. And um, he just kind of outlasted Alcaraz and Alcaraz knew that the the what he would have to do to to win that match. Just it, it overtook him. I will say this about a few of the matches at tournaments that that unfortunately Djokovic missed because of the vaccine situation in the end, can we potentially look back and say, you know, he missed a lot of tennis. Did that help him? Did it keep him fresher? Right. Did it Good keep point. him more fresh? Could that have been kind of, you know, a blessing in disguise? I think that's something to think about. That's a great question. Just look at what happened to Nadal after he, t- he took out Medvedev last year after two sets to love down in Australia. Yes. He came back and won the French Open, but he didn't play all the tournaments, and then he was done. Took yeah. too much out of him physically, and I think you're right, Novak, uh, definitely. But you know, very quickly, Andy, I know you want to jump in there. Go ahead, go ahead. Alcaraz, Carlos Alcaraz, at 20 years old, he's already gained the utmost respect on on tour, which Iga Swantek uh, has finally gained through the help of Jesse Pegula in United Cup in Australia last year. Uh, where the girls have realized, okay, how do we beat Iga? We hit the ball as hard as we can, mostly to the forehand. Alcaraz, and you mentioned the the qualifier, and I don't even want to try and pronounce his name, uh, Hungarian in Rome, he beat him that same way. He hit the ball so hard that Alcaraz uh, cannot dictate. Novak did the same thing in the first set, hit the ball harder and he takes time away from Alcaraz. That's how Yannick Sinner has a chance against Alcaraz, albeit not on clay, but on hard courts. So I think at 20, they're already so worried and so respectful of him that they realize, okay, I can't beat him any other way, whether I know how to play like that or not, is irrelevant. I need to go in there and smack it, because if, if Carlos Alcaraz is dictating, no one beats him including Novak. And that's what Novak was trying to say afterwards. And in the interview we did for Eurosport on the court uh, is that I'm not, I'm 36. I really am 36 and I cannot run around and allow him to dictate to me. I need to dictate to him. And then he said, just like I did in Australia, in the Australian Open. So that's why I think he's better because I think he can go backwards and then say, you know what, Carlos, 
I'm not hitting the ball well, but I can run for six hours. So let's go and make it into a marathon. But Novak decides it's a sprint. So another detail I found out while I was watching, Carlos Alcaraz ran 20 meters per point before he cramped. You cannot be serious. He played 155 points. That's 3,000 meters. Okay. That's 3,100 meter sprints in less than two hours. You show me an athlete that can do that because every step he takes is a sprint. So Novak did that to him. Johnny Johnny runs that much before 7 a.m. That's <laughs> every day. I assure you. All right, real quick, before we go to break, I thought it was interesting being obviously the, the mainstream sports fan that I am. Djokovic goes up to the stands after winning and, and says to Tom Brady, who's in his box, so Tom, is that kind of what you yeah, – is that what we're doing here? Is that how we do it? And, uh, and Brady kind of looked at him and said, hey, well, you know, you got another seven years to get to where I got to, but you're on your way. You're doing good. It's still pretty early. All right, let's go to break. There's a couple guys, several guys and women, that I want to talk to you guys about going into the grass court season to sort of say, should we be concerned or should we be excited and encouraged at what we saw during this clay court season? You're listening to KickServeRadio.com, part of Tennis Channel Podcast Network. AZ, Matts, and Johnny with more right after this. Hey guys, AZ here with Tennis Channel Podcast Network, and I am joined by Diadem Business Development Manager, Doug Mouch. And Doug, let's face it, pickleball right now is all of the rage. However, it hasn't been exactly a seamless transition of bringing pickleball in with some of the, the tennis clubs. And one of the pain points has been the sound of pickleball. And Diadem has really taken the bull by the horns with regard to some new technology that you guys have out that I think all pickleball players, tennis players, or people that have a concern about the sound of pickleball are going to be very excited. Tell us about it. This past November, we launched the Vice Paddle, and we knew it wouldn't be conforming to USAPA rules because it has the EVA foam in it. That EVA foam causes the paddle to have a little more of a trampoline effect, but our theory was it's going to help tennis elbow or pickleball elbow, help wrist issues. It will help people that need a little more power that don't have it. But the biggest factor that we have found that's helped many country clubs and communities is the noise factor. So this EVA foam device paddle, it really does not make any noise whatsoever. It's a very solid noise, more of a tennis racket. So it kind of mutes that plastic wiffle ball noise to almost zero. So it gives you a little more power. In, in some cases, a lot more. It's arm friendly. It's audio friendly. Where can people go online to find out more about Diadem's wide array of pickleball equipment and tennis equipment? Well, our website is diademsports.com. The paddle is the Diadem Vice. Go online, check it out. I'm Andy Zoden. Doug, thank you so much. We appreciate it. And good luck with all you guys are doing. Thank you, Andy. Really appreciate your time. Welcome back, everybody. It is the Joker's Wild episode of KickServeRadio.com on Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Matt, Johnny, and AZ. And we talked about Joker. We talked about Alcaraz. And I want to talk about some – we talked about Nikola Jokic, and I can't get enough of that guy right now in my Denver Nuggets. 
but that's a show. That's a story for another show. But let's talk about some guys that that maybe came up a little short. Alcaraz being one of them. But 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 your boy Matt. Let's start with Yannick Sinner. What's going on with him? Should we be concerned? Should Yannick Sinner fans be concerned with the downturn in his level recently, which is somewhat surprising under the watchful eye of Darren Cahill? So Yannick Sinner is a little bit confusing to me. Um, the Italian journalists that I run into at the French Open, the biggest concern they have is physically. Is he physically strong enough? Obviously not yet. Is, is he going to be one of those guys that, that gets a little bit tired or a little bit injured because he's not strong enough? Whatever. They seem to think that physically he doesn't quite have uh, – the stamina or the strength that someone like Carlos Alcaraz has, which if we look at him, yes. I think he's caught in, in the middle, Janik Sinner. He, he's great, on, on, he's good on every surface, but I don't think he's quite understood what his game style is and how much he needs to develop the forward going, coming to the net or whatever, because he doesn't look that comfortable there. So where does he go? Does he go the Andre Rublev way? where you just smack it as hard as you can, or do you try and change things up and then suddenly you might lose a bit of confidence and lose some matches? So has he improved in the last 12 months? Most probably. He just had, doesn't get the results, but uh, slightly concerned. Johnny, Stefano Tsitsipas, is he a guy that if you look at where he's at right now, his his career is starting to perhaps take the shape and the trajectory of a Grigor Dimitrov, a guy that in his youth we maybe saw all kinds of potential for slam finals and, and, and maybe winning major championships. And now suddenly, you know, he's getting into the latter rounds. I mean, he's still competing out there, but he loses to Alcaraz in straight sets. And it, it shouldn't have been as close as it was. It was 6-2, 6-1, 5-1 or 5-2. He ends up going to a tiebreak in the third set. But has the window closed for him on winning majors? I don't think so, Andy. I mean, I, it's hard to compare, you know, Sitsipas to to Dimitrov. I mean, Dimitrov has been a very consistent top 30 guy, but he really had a brief period where he was top 10, maybe reached top five. I think he won the ATP finals, but Sitsipas is still five in the world. He's been in that top five, top six for the last three years. I mean, that's pretty insane. But, you know, you're, you, he lost to Alcaraz, who's been clearly the number one guy lately. So I wouldn't count Sitsipas out at all. I think he could have a breakthrough. It could be it could be at Australia. It could be at the French. It, like, it won't be at Wimbledon. Um, but I, I think he's a, a f- phenomenal player, and, and, I, and I still think he's a threat to win a, tie, a major. Matt, we talked for, for decades about how – the French Open and the clay court circuit was just a, a literal, you know, veritable graveyard for American tennis players, particularly American men. And this looked like another year of that. How surprised were you not to see the Americans even with a whimper in that men's singles draw this year? I mean, Taylor Fritz, he to me, he did all right. Francis Tiafo. That was a, a pretty good match with uh, with Sasha Zverev, I thought, but uh, it, it's just it's very difficult to play clay court tennis when you have one side that is completely flat and you have no spin. It can work for a match or two, but in in the, in the long run, you got to be able to play with a bit more variation on the backhand side. And I'm saying both of them. 
Uh, I think you can run around and smack forehands all day, but the backhand side got to have something. If you look at Casper Ruud's backhand, it's not a great backhand, but he does have a lot of spin. He's got a lot of height on it, and you can, it's it's not that easy to attack it. You got to work and you got to get on top of the bounce. Tiafo Fritz. If they don't hit through you, then the ball sits at a pretty comfortable height uh, on those clay courts in Paris. So, yeah, it's, I mean, it's tough. Austin Krawcheck, there's your American superstar. Well, I was just, you took the words right out of my mouth. I was <laughs> going to give him a whole segment. Johnny, if we're going to talk about the disappointing side of American t- men's tennis, let's talk about the American shining star. And that is Austin Krawcheck getting his first ever major championship He's now the number one doubles player in the world and couldn't be a better guy. And what are your thoughts on watching Austin team with Yvonne Dodig and win that French Open championship under the watchful eye of our dear friend, Philip Farmer? Congratulations to him as well. Well, and having played at A&M under, under Steve Denton, and I know Steve is, uh, must be just overjoyed with with Austin getting a, a Grand Slam title, and I remember me and you having the conversation a year ago when he when they squandered the three match points in yep. the final. Said, you know, Andy, I'll tell you, that's a tough pill to swallow when you just never know if you'll ever get back there. And sure enough, a year later, not only does he get back there, but they win three and one in the finals, and um, the smile on Austin's face. In those pictures, you know, holding up that trophy were worth his weight in gold. I, I just was a thing of beauty. And Steve Denton was there. That's Steve right. Steve Denton was there. Yes, I he was. I, I know he did. And real quick, yes. I just want to say that Austin is living his best life right now because by the time anybody hears this podcast, he will have thrown out the first pitch at the Texas Rangers game. Oh. And so I had to shoot him a little gif uh, text of uh, – of Charlie Sheen in uh, in Major League with the glasses, and I just said, you know, give him the heater, Ricky. <laughs> and uh, so <laughs> I think that's going to be a lot of fun for him. Now, there was a downside, Matt, and I want to let you address this because it wasn't pretty. There was another side to it, Johnny. We haven't talked about it, but I don't think people were really too excited about Yvonne Dodig's oh speech God. at the end of that match where he really called the French Open out. And, I mean, he he really – he basically said after he thanked everybody, and there's one thing that makes me very sad. I'm very, you know, I'm very hurt by the tournament. I've won this thing now four times. I've won seven majors, and yet I was not treated like the other players. Apparently, he was a mile outside of the transportation zone. So the 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 tournament did not provide transportation for him. And he said, I had to wait 40 minutes for a cab, and one day I ran late for practicing. And it just it sounded it sounded like a lot of crybaby nonsense at the time. And whether it's accurate or not, and whether it's justified or not, and according to Philip Farmer, he says that, that believe it or not, um, Yvonne has actually gotten a lot of support from the players on making this point, albeit Austin or I probably wouldn't have chosen that time and that place to make that point. He didn't think that the point was um, improper, but Johnny, you hated it. I hated it. And um, it just seemed like after winning a major championship to do that seemed inappropriate. I've never seen anything like it, literally, after winning a, a, a tennis tournament, let alone a Grand Slam. I just have never seen anything like it where a player actually in his acceptance speech 
after he, you know, accepted the trophy, says, you know, it's a sad day for me. And we're all thinking, where is he going with this? And he just destroyed the French Open for the treatment. Now, that could be, but that was not the place to do it. They didn't need to get the fans involved. That's something that you deal with behind closed doors. But it just seemed to me that there, there, it just he looked very bitter, and it just wasn't a good look, I don't think. And his buddy becomes number one in the world, his partner, and wins his first slam. And you choose that time, that time to do that. That's a, yeah, that's very, very awkward. So back to Austin real quick, Andy. Yeah, yeah, go ahead, Johnny. I mean, Kalamazoo doubles winner, NCA doubles winner, cracked the top 100 in 2015 in singles, now a Grand Slam champion, and now number one in the world in doubles. I mean, uh, this kid is really, and you've told me he's a great kid. I did play the Arizona Tennis Classic. I was fortunate enough to talk to him, and he seemed great. Couldn't, couldn't have happened to a better kid humble guy and um it's just it's just uh fantastic for him and fantastic for philip farmer his coach yep farmer having a kid this year winning a major and in fact just a one last point on on philip wins the french open as a coach of the doubles 20 years apart because he was the coach of the Bryan brothers in 2003 when they won their first major and now here he is 20 years later with austin krychek winning his first major and uh and and way to go philly i'm proud of you and um matt you have had an opportunity to get to know that he's a good one and he's one of the good guys out there isn't he yeah very good i ran into philip quite a few times every time he's uh, he was uh he was with austin and he said you know austin i'm like are you seriously asking me this now like yeah i know austin i knew austin seven years ago when he was playing singles but what i was going to say about austin Kwajcik is uh i just looked it up i mean he's only 32 years old so to me, when you're 32, so he would have chosen to not play singles, what, three or four years ago, maybe? At least, yeah. There's a lot of pressure when you choose to not play singles, and then you don't really know. Am I, if you're top 100, you can be top 30. There's not that huge, big a difference. And then he chooses to go the doubles route and then to be able to do what he's done because now he's made it. Now it's 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 – he, it was the right choice, you would have to say. But that's a big step. And, and he would be one of the youngest guys at 32 that is fighting for majors um, every time and fighting for the world number one ranking. I mean, these guys are, are sort of in the mid-30s or even a little bit later. So big deal. When we come back, let's give the women their due because that was one hell of a shootout in that ladies' final. Let's take a little uh, look at what we might be in for come the grass court season. You're listening to KickServeRadio.com, part of Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Back with more on the ladies' side of things and some grass court preview talk when we come back. guys, Sarah Z here with a kick serve, quick serve with my friend and nutrition guru, Courtney Ward with Body Fuse. Courtney, as we ladies start to get, oh, shall I say more advanced or more experienced in our life, our fitness levels take a hit if we're not careful, don't they? You know, Sarah, they do, unfortunately. And I highly suggest supporting your activities at every stage pre-workout, intra-workout, and post-workout. So you want to think about a pre-workout. We have a product called Endgame. 
And that basically will allow you to increase your energy and focus during your workout. And then intra-workout is almost just as critical. So we have branch chain amino acids called BCAA311. And that's a perfect product to allow your body to almost refuel while you're working out. It's a super hydrator as well as a muscle recovery while you're working out. And then finally, protein is critical post-workout and body fuse lean protein is one of the highest quality proteins on the market. Very, very effective, a slow, long burn, six to eight hours after ingestion and after that workout. So your energy, you're not, you're not going to crash and your energy continues. You're feeding your muscles and you just feel Great. So with these three elements, pre, intra, and post-workout, you're really going to support yourself at all stages in any activities, in intense workouts, tennis matches, body strength conditionings, uh, sessions, etc. Fantastic. And one more time, Body Fuse. BodyFuseUSA.com. Well, I'm Sarah Z. She's Courtney with Body Fuse. And now back to more tennis talk with the Kickstarter Radio Boys. Welcome back, everybody. Final segment, kickserveradio.com, Tennis Channel Podcast Network. We're talking French Open. We're talking Wimbledon shortly. But first of all, Matt's that women's final. Iga Svantec wins, de- defends her title, wins her third French Open. But it wasn't without a hell of a tussle from unseated Karolina Mukova, who goes from 2-6, love three in that final, to serving up a break, 4-3 in the third set before Schwantek was able to get an emergency rudder in the water and get a break back and uh, and get a, a hold from Love 30 down and then another another break to close out the match, 6-4 in the third, almost three hours. That's quite a slugfest on the ladies' side of a French Open final. Yeah, unbelievable. I mean, Karolina Mukhova, she, she definitely made the tournament because the semis against Arena Sabalenka was absolutely incredible. Uh, level she got lucky being down 5-2 in match point of course but suddenly she plays her best tennis just like she did when she was down 6-2-3 love so I suppose uh, she most probably needs to improve the part where where she's ahead I need to feel more relaxed and play the kind of tennis that I can because her feel and her technique uh, on basically every shot. It's so cool to see uh, a tennis player, whether it's on the men's side or the women's side, that actually hits every shot in the book, that hits the slice backhand, that serves and comes in and hits drop shots. And at some point, you just can't hit through people every day uh, the way that Sabalenka and Iga Swantek do. Yes, you can have good days and do it, but I think that they need to also learn how to do other things because um, uh, it's 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 more attractive it's it's a you're better consistently better when you have bad days when you're throwing a bit of a an off pace kind of slice backhand and serving and rolling a little bit i believe so really really welcome surprise imagine matt's vlander feeling that way about throwing in some slice backhands and an occasional serve and volley yeah that's shocking uh now carlina mikova had a pretty good run at the australian if memory serves and maybe lost to ash barty or I can't remember. It seems like she got to the semis one year. Better research next time, buddy. <laughs> what I wanted to ask you, though, is Rabakina goes out with an injury. How concerned should Rabakina fans, Matt's, be 
about her situation going into defend her Wimbledon title. I, I think they should be concerned. I mean, I really do. I think if you have a slight uh, injury on clay, then grass is not going to be a great surface for that because you're uh, the footing, you're slipping, you're sliding, the bounce is low. Um, you're going to hit a lot of more miss hits on a, on a grass court. So, yeah, it's very concerning. Um, to me, Elena Rybakina, she's a great ball striker. She serves great. She seems to have a good uh, head on her shoulders because she's calm. But I think for her, I, the concern I have is that she um, needs to get a little bit more involved. Um, she's starting to remind me a little bit of Karolina Pliskova in the mindset that I love that you're calm and whatever. But when you play bad, you got to fire yourself up and show your opponent that you care enough to dig deep. I'm sure they both dig as deep as they can, but they're not telling their opponent about it. So they're not getting uh, afraid. Whereas th- that's what Sabalenka does so well. She's not getting down on herself. She's upset. She's angry. She's happy. <laughs> she hits uh, crazy shots or whatever, but you know how she feels and that's got to be intimidating for her opponents. So Rybakina, there's a bit to learn in the emotional uh, uh, output department, but as a ball striker, she's unbelievable. Johnny, let's turn our attention now to to looking forward toward the grass. And let's get back to your boy here because it's never easy to win the French and Wimbledon back-to-back. I mean, it has been done so infrequently. But by the same token, we're in an era now where there is a little bit more time. I mean, for crying out loud, Matt Spielander's back in Idaho after the French. Then he's going to go back. So that's how much time there is to kind of – reset yourself do you think that Novak goes in as the prohibitive favorite without even a close second based on what we just saw in Paris not only Andy are we um looking at a guy that just won the French and is number one in the world but we're also looking at a guy that's that won Wimbledon the last four years so grass is he's super super comfortable on grass loves the surface loves Wimbledon he claims that Wimbledon really is kind of the title that he always wanted to win most when he was a kid. So, yeah, I mean, he's the clear-cut favorite. It's his title to lose. And I agree with him, Matt, because I'm trying to think of who I would even, after what we saw him do to Alcaraz on clay, and I mean, if, 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 if Alcaraz was cramping and, and and doing, he's likely to get hurt on the grass if he's not careful the way he flies around and slides and he's going to do a splits and maybe not get up one of these times. Sinner, as you said before, we're not sure what to make of him. Poss not on the grass. Like, who's the guy? Like, who are we even looking at? Rafa, is he even going to play? Like, who's even got a prayer? It ain't Medvedev. Who's got a shot at this guy on grass? I mean, I say it's Carlos Alcaraz, to be honest. Okay. I think he's... His style on grass will really work. Uh, his forehand works on any surface, especially when the bounce is low because he doesn't have quite as an extreme grip as some of the other young guys. Uh, the foot speed's got to help Alcaraz. The serve is not a, a big enough weapon maybe to to uh, rely on it all the time. But the, the interesting thing about Novak is, remember early in Novak's career, he was not a grass court player. He lost to Andy Murray in one of the finals. Um, he, he was good. But he wasn't a grass court. Now it's like he's a specialist somehow. He doesn't have the competition on grass. I think that's important for people to realize. There are no people, grass court specialists in the world. There are people that are better on grass than others, but no one has grown up on grass. 
So really, no one really knows what they're doing uh, from when they were kids. They just get used to it. And Novak, just like a Federer, has gotten used to it and now most probably prefers grass for to, to any other surface, which when I hear that, I'm sick to my stomach, guys. <laughs> I can't believe they made that, that transformation to go from something and then become a grass court lover. That's incredible. Blasphemous. Johnny, one of the guys that you saw in Paris that you were so impressed with, and he actually was in Phoenix this year, and maybe he's a guy who's got the big enough game to be dangerous on grass if he got that big serve going. Could Tanasi Kokonakis go into Wimbledon and perhaps be a guy that you might not want to deal with in the draw, similar to the way we've thought about John Isner and and and, and Kevin Anderson and guys like that for all these years? Could that now be Kokonakis's role? Well, I would have thought so, Andy. Um, however, you know, there's there's a challenger going on right now on grass and Kokonakis lost in the first round to a qualifier, Zachary Spida. Oh, my goodness, the American kid. So the American kid has played a couple of weeks on grass and has got in as a lucky loser, won a round. He's playing pretty well, and he's a baseliner um, that has shown that he can play on grass. I mean, beating Kokonakis – uh, seven six in the third is a heck of a win, so that doesn't bode well for for Tanasi for the start of the grass court season. That being said, Tanasi, when he doesn't want to be there, he'll let you know it. Oh yeah, because in fact, it was Phoenix, Arizona, where I think he was playing Struve, and Struve was it was was on him pretty good in the first set, and when he screamed, "I don't want to be here," I figured he might not want to be there. So well he, wanted to, well, he wanted to go to his son's game pretty good. So that he sure he sure didn't mind. Yeah, but no. uh, but anyway, so who is it, Matt? Who is it? Who is the guy? Who's the guy? Is it? I mean, will we see Curios finally on the grass? I mean, what's to be? Where is he nowadays? Well, Curios lost first round to uh, uh, Wu in uh, Stuttgart. I just watched it. Okay, um, and he uh, seven five six three. He hurt his knee. Along oh, the no. way, yeah, and he oh. was he finished the match. He was shaking his head. I'm not trying that hard, but because of the knee, for sure. But I mean, that doesn't really. He's got two and a half more weeks to to recover. So I think Curious could be. He needs a couple more matches, most probably. Um, he could be dangerous. I, I still think that you are you're kind of onto something. I mean, how do you how do you have a great result at Wimbledon? Most probably, you have to serve well. Uh, and uh, and Tanasa Kokonakis does serve well. There are a few other guys out there that serve well. And if you serve well for two weeks, you have a chance at Wimbledon. But uh, I mean, the Americans, Francis Tiafo could be could be a threat. Taylor Fritz, uh, since la- last year he made the quarterfinals, he could be a threat. Um, I think that someone like Tommy Paul could be a threat to most people. Maybe not Novak Djokovic. So I think the Americans are, are still, even though the French Open wasn't that successful. I think they're going into Wimbledon and they're just like, wow, so nice that the Claywood season is over. And now it's the last tournament that I'm playing before I go back to America. And then comes my favorite season, which is the hardcourts in America. So I say Americans will have a, a, a really good um, uh, tournament on the men's side. Uh, I don't know why we haven't mentioned Coco Goff, Andy. I thought you were going to bring her up. What did, what did you guys think of Coco Goff's performance at the French Open? Well, obviously she had a good run in the doubles. Um, you know, the the rematch against uh, Schwantek was uh, basically a redo of what we saw in that final, four and two, a routine. So a good effort to get to where she got to. Didn't take a bad loss. Kind of 
I thought played her way nicely into the tournament, had a couple of, uh, a couple of potential danger spots there, particularly against a young Russian girl, Andrea, where she lost the first set and then comes back and wins one and one. So she's still showing, um, you know, some, some, some professional polish, which gives you hope, but there's also still, you know, the occasional, you know, misstep, but she's going out there, she's playing singles, she's playing hard, she's playing doubles, she's playing hard. And um, like you say, you just, you, any given Sunday or any given, in this case, any given Saturday with her, and she may be the lady standing there at the end holding a trophy one of these days. She's still pretty young. Johnny, what did you think? Yeah, no, she is young. I mean, she she really did have a pretty good tournament until she ran up against Fontek. But, uh, you know, the doubles actually was a disappointment in the, in, the, in the fact that they lost to Townsend and Fernandez. And I think that, uh, you know, they were looking to win that title. But look at Coco Goff is – is is just a a solid top tenner right now. I mean, she's seven in the world, right? So it it it. I mean, she's really still on the rise, and she's very young. She's gaining valuable experience every tournament, especially every slam she plays. She's going to get more comfortable, and she'll be a threat to win titles. I mean, very very soon if she isn't already. All right, boys. Good stuff tonight, Matt's Great job over. In Paris, as always, with Eurosport, Johnny, glad you got an opportunity to go over there and see some great tennis. I was over here just rooting my lungs out for Nikola Jokic while you guys were over in Paris. So it was the Joker's wild in the end, and watching those guys both win was something special. For Matt's, Johnny, and AZ, this is KickServeRadio.com, part of Tennis Channel Podcast Network. We'll be back with more grass court talk as the weeks go on and then on to the hardcore season from there. In the meantime, have a great one, and thanks for listening, everybody.